We moved into this building uh, 29 years ago. And uh, over the 29 years ago, uh, we really didn't spend much money on the building. Uh, we wanted to spend as much money as we possibly could on ministry and in people and stuff like that. And unfortunately, then some of the things started to fail and get old and get frayed and out of shape and all that kind of stuff. So we started this process. Okay, well, we got to fix some of the stuff like the heat or the cooling system and the sound system and the lighting system because those are starting to break down. And then the Lord, I guess we weren't moving fast enough. So the Lord sent a lightning strike that hit our steeple and caught the roof on fire. And uh, so then we had to replace the roof, and, well, that just got us started. And so now, uh, over the past uh, two or three years, uh, your leadership, the governing board, has been working on this. And so today we come to this point. We're going to dedicate this worship center to the Lord. A week ago, Friday, we received uh, the final inspection, had the final inspection and received uh, all the necessary permits. We still have a few more projects to do, but we are so thankful. And this morning we thought how appropriate it would be for us to dedicate this worship center to the Lord. And your bulletin today is a little dedication thing that we want to do. We really want to realize that this is a privilege that God has given to us and he deserves all the glory and all the praise. So, I'll read these parts, and then where it says all, would you please join me in dedication of this worship center, okay? You join me where it says all. So, we dedicate this worship center to God the Father, who cannot be contained in a building, but who comes down to meet with us. We dedicate this worship center to God the Son, who tore open the gate of the most holy place in the temple, and who ushers us into the presence of God by his sacrifice for our sins. We dedicate this worship center to God the Holy Spirit, who longs to fill this place and who promises to fill us who follow Jesus with his love, joy, and peace. We dedicate this worship center to those around us who need to hear the good news and who need the saving grace of God. Is that me? I hope not. Okay. Uh, last October, we just talked about dedicating this to God, but to those around us. Last October, when we were in the middle of the project and the carpet had been removed and the pews removed and all those things, uh, many of you after the service joined us in coming over here. And you took a piece of chalk. And what did you do? You wrote the names of people that you love, that you care about. The people who don't know the Lord yet. People that you want to know come to know the Lord and be seated with you perhaps someday. Some of you are seated right over the spot where you wrote it. 
because that's your spot, okay? <laughs> well, those names are still there, and they'll be there, and I hope your prayers for them will be there as well. Would all of you who did that uh, stand first with me, okay? All of you who wrote, you were here in October, and you wrote the names of someone uh, on the floor, okay? And you're praying for them, and you believe that God is going to use you in that way. Now, with the rest of you, the rest of you, you weren't here, okay, would you, would you stand? Would you join us, please, too, as, as we finish? You see, we're not, we don't want to just dedicate this building, because God really doesn't live in buildings, does he? He lives in people. So it's so important for us to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. Would you read with me, please? We dedicate ourselves to follow Christ into this worship center and then to follow Christ out of this holy place, out into our world of herding, harass sheep without the shepherd. I want to have a prayer of dedication. And I wondered, well, who should I have pray? What should we pray? And then I realized that 3,000 years ago, uh, God had asked Solomon to build a place to worship God. And at their dedication service, he prayed a prayer that's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. I'd like for that to be our prayer today. In 2 Chronicles 6, it says this, Now as all the people watched, Solomon reached out his arms toward heaven, and he prayed this prayer. Would you bow with me? Oh, holy God, there is no God like you in all of heaven and the earth. Why, even the heavens and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this place of worship we have built. How I pray that you will hear our prayers, O oh Lord God. Look down with favor day and night upon this house of prayer and worship. Listen to the prayers of your people when they pray in this place. Hear us from heaven. And when you hear, forgive. And when those who do not know you hear of your power and come to worship your great name and to pray in this place, hear them from heaven where you live. And then all the peoples of the earth will hear of your fame and will reverence you. And they too will know that this place we have built is truly yours. And now, O oh Lord God, arise and enter this place and your people. Let us, your people, O oh Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your people rejoice in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God uses people and we dedicate this place and ourselves. We also want to thank some people who really did a lot of work to make this a reality today. I'm going to ask 
the Suncoast team, Rhonda and Rodney, would you please come up? Building committee, uh, Matt and Larry and Jay, would you please join me on stage as well? I want to introduce these people, and we do want to give uh, our appreciation to them. Uh, and, uh, and a small token uh, is, a, is a symbol of our thanks to them for all the work that they did. Uh, let me introduce them first. We have the, uh, let's, let's uh, put the Suncoast team over here in the building committee here. All right, Matt, where are you? There you go, buddy. All right, good enough. All right, we want to give our appreciation today. Uh, we are so thankful for the owner of the Suncoast team. Uh, he, unfortunately, Tom Strickland, could not be with us today. Uh, but he is a, a man who's a general contractor, builds large buildings, and has gotten into a ministry of building churches as well. And we're so thankful the Lord directed us to him. This is his team. Uh, this is Rodney. He was our superintendent. He was the one that was here every day just making sure that everyone was doing what they should be doing, okay? So this is Rodney, our superintendent. And this is a very amazing lady. This is Rhonda Williams. Rhonda was our general project manager. She just managed every detail, got just did a phenomenal job and has such a great heart for God and for people. And we are so, so thankful for them. Now, I'm going to ask you to hold your applause to the very end for a reason. But we have a gift to them. Which one is Rodney's and which one is... <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we want to thank our building committee. They did an amazing job. Uh, I have a lot of pastor's friends who, after the building project is over, they resign and leave and die, okay, because they ended up doing way too much work, okay. That is not the case. This building committee did the work. They took, no, you're not going to die, oh, okay. They did an amazing, amazing job. It is just phenomenal. Uh, Jay. Larry, Matt, you know them. We appreciate you guys so, so very much. Thank you. And we have a small gift for you as well, a token. And I hope that'll be uh, well received. And then I have, I can't thank everybody by name because there are just way too many people that are involved. Uh, but I want to thank uh, Bob Hudson, who is our treasurer and worked with all the finances and the, uh, the loan and all those things. He couldn't be with us today. He had to take Marta to Miami at following her surgery, a post-op uh, uh, appointment. And uh, we will be able to thank him later, but I want to thank Bob. I, I want to thank uh, the staff, my staff, uh, Mike and Carla and, and, uh, and Josh and, and Jackie and all the work they did, moving stuff every week, moving to get out of the way, stay out of the way, and all that sort of thing. Just a phenomenal amount of work, and they did it without complaining, and uh, what a wonderful staff. And then I thank you. I thank you as the church family. Uh, many of you did those kinds of jobs, like unloading the chairs and cleaning and vacuuming and just all that. Thank you, church family. Thank you. Many of you prayed. You knew that the, this had to be a God thing, and you prayed. Many of you gave, and that's always needed, always necessary if we're to carry out our mission. So, church family, I really want to thank you. So, uh, this morning, I, I think we thank all of you for this work, and we dedicate this worship center and ourselves to the Lord God. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Today we are beginning a, a new series. And so if you turn to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, uh, we, we want to hear from God. We need to hear from God. Uh, the scripture will also be up on the screen uh, or on uh, your version app or whatever you're using uh, today. Matthew chapter 9. Now, when Jesus lived on earth, what are, what are some of the things that Jesus asked people to do? You don't know? Oh, no. Yes, you do. What, what, what did Jesus ask people to do? Love, pray, follow, depend. All right? Okay, some of you looked at the title of the sermon and you guessed it right away. You're sharp people, okay? You know, I believe that there's one word that you could put all those things that Jesus asks us to do and enable us to do into one word, and it's the word follow. Because what did Jesus say to people? He said, Follow me. In the, in the four Gospels, 22 times we find him saying that. And I believe that he said that to thousands of people. He ministered to thousands of people. Thousands of people came to hear him teach. I believe he said that to thousands of people. Why? Because that's what God created us to do. You're not here to take up space, consume resources, Live 70, 80, 90 years and then pass away? No, you were created to do something by God. And that is to follow. And to follow Christ, friend, is the greatest thing you can do with your life. And it's the worst thing if you fail to do it. Because that's why you're here. And uh, another amazing thing before we get into Matthew 9 is that Jesus invited every kind of person imaginable to follow it. Jesus, think about who Jesus gave, said, follow me. Jesus gave the invitation to follow him to rich people and to poor people. Isn't that great? That Jesus doesn't love money, he loves people. If he was just out for rich, most of us wouldn't be here. Jesus loves people. Jesus gave an invitation to follow him to males and females. Now, you see, that's really, really important and really radical because, see, Jesus lived in an age when women had no rights. Jesus said that men and women are equal. That was, that was radical. Lot didn't believe him and criticized him for it. And friend, I would just want to say, Jesus was the greatest women's liberator who ever lived. Because he didn't put women down. He lifted them up higher than any religious leader has ever done or will ever do. Jesus gave the invitation to follow to Jews and Gentiles. And you see, that's important because in Jesus' day, Jews didn't believe that God could even love Gentiles. God, he, they thought God hated Gentiles and just couldn't wait to consume them, damn them to hell. He didn't love Gentiles. And Jesus showed them that he did. And that he loves and longs for everyone to follow Jesus Christ to God's heaven where there are going to be people from every tribe and nation, right? Now here, maybe the last one's really going to shock you. 
Jesus gave the invitation to follow him to good people and to bad people. And Matthew chapter 9 tells us all about that, okay? Now, how much do you know about the Bible? Okay, who wrote the gospel by Matthew? Very bright people, Bible scholars here. All right. Matthew 9, Matthew, I bring that up because he, in Matthew 9, he's telling his own story. He's, t- he's telling about the day that Jesus said to him, follow me. And I hope you'll think about the day that Jesus said to you and is saying to you, follow me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. Now, we're going to stop right there because Matthew couldn't believe that Jesus would invite him to follow. I mean, that blew his mind. I'm sure Matthew was thinking, Jesus, you you don't know who I am. I'm a tax collector. Now, now what's wrong with being a tax collector, okay? We have a a former employee of the IRS in here. Uh, We don't hate him. He's a nice guy, okay? All right? What's wrong with being a tax collector? Well, nothing in our day, but in first century Israel, tax collectors were despised. They were Jewish people, but they collected taxes for the Romans. Now, what had the Romans done? The Romans had come and invaded their land. They occupied the land. They had soldiers all over the place. They killed people, and they taxed them mercilessly. So the tax collectors were... They were despised because they were helping Rome, but that's not it. the only thing. They were despised because they were thieves. In a few weeks, you're going to be doing your taxes or having your prepared do it, okay? What are you going to do? You're going to fill in all those lines with dollar amounts, right? And then you add and subtract and multiply and all this crazy stuff, all right? And then you're finally going to end up with a number on the bottom, your total tax, and then what do you do? Then you look at the tax tables, and that tells you what you owe or what you're going to get a refund on, right? The tax tables. Well, in the first century, there were no written tax tables. So the tax collectors would tell people that they owed twice, three times, five times what they really owed, and they were filthy rich. They were stealing from the poor, from the widows, from everyone. So in Matthew 9, as Jesus is walking along, and they, the disciples see Jesus going over to Matthew. And they knew Matthew was a tax collector, okay? And they probably thought he was going over to say something like, hey, you scumbag, you're disgusting. Your mother must be really proud of you, you know? Huh? But that's not what Jesus said. What did he say? Follow me. Now, see, nobody thought that Jesus would invite such a terrible, bad person to follow me. Not even Matthew. But when Matthew was invited by the Son of God, who obviously was not condemning him, who obviously was not putting him down or despised him, but lifting him up, Matthew, verse 10, says, got up and followed. 
hey, son of God, if you want me, I'm in. I'm all in. Tax collectors were hated. To the Jews, they were worse than murderers or prostitutes or whatever. They were barred from the temple. That made them outcasts. No self-respecting Jew would rub soldiers with them. But as Matthew followed Jesus, got to know him, Matthew wanted everybody to know him. Everybody to be loved as he had been loved. So he threw a dinner party. He threw a dinner party at his mansion. He invited everybody in town. Well, who showed up? Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. You see, the tax collectors were so despised that the only ones who would show up and go into the house were who? Other tax collectors? Other sinners. Now, Jesus loved being there. Now, does Jesus love sin? No. You know why? Because he knows how much we'll suffer. He knows the consequences of sin. How it will hurt us. Hurt our families. Hurt those we love. Jesus hates sin. But he loves sinners. And he came to an earth to invite us sinners to turn from our sin and to follow him. And so he said, follow me to this tax collector. And that amazed the crowd. And what shocked them even more was that then Jesus went to his house. And he went in. And he ate with all these sinners and fellow tax collectors. Think about that. Jesus was God. He, he's the Son of God. He never sinned at all. He's pure. He's holy. He was, he's God in a bod. And he invites sinners to follow him. Friend, holy Jesus loves. And he reaches out to us humans who are very unholy. Jesus reached out to the kind of people that a lot of us want to avoid, tend to avoid, do avoid. Most of us don't want to be around those kinds of people. Kind of like the Pharisees who stood outside. No way would they go in and eat with those kind. They wouldn't go in. They stood outside condemning, talking about Jesus. Finally, they couldn't take it any longer. They had to say something. Had to get their point across. So, you know, they pulled out their smartphone and texted. And they asked, they texted the disciples and they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, why do you think they asked that question? Well, number one, they were always condemning Jesus because Jesus knew they were hypocrites. They, didn't, they said they loved God. They didn't. They said they loved people. They didn't. Second reason is they love judging other people. And unfortunately, that's just kind of a human tendency. We actually like 
to talk about the faults of others and what they've done and we can't believe that and all that, you know. And why do we do that? Because if we talk about others and their sins, it makes us look better and feel better. Well, I wouldn't do, I've never done that. Judging. But I think there's a third reason. They couldn't believe that Jesus was hanging out with those sinners instead of with them. Hey, we're the good people. <laughs> Jesus is in there with them, and he's not outside with us. And think about it. And here's a question. Who is Jesus more like? The Pharisees or the sinners inside? He's more like the Pharisees. I mean, they were rabbis. Jesus was a rabbi. They believed it was important to keep the law of God, although they, did it, they didn't do it out of love. They did it out of legalism. Jesus kept the laws of God. You see, Jesus was more like the Pharisees than the sinners, and they just couldn't understand why is he in there with them and not outside here with us. And they were so shocked, and they couldn't contain themselves. And so they texted, you know, the disciples, why is he in there with all those sinners? Okay, I know they didn't text Jesus. Okay, I'm just messing with you, okay? Verse 12, Jesus overheard the conversation. And so he said in verse 12, he said, on hearing this, Jesus said, the reason I'm in here and not out there is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. What's he mean by that? The self-righteous, those who, hey, I'm a good person. Don't think they need a Savior. Don't need Jesus. They think they'll get to heaven by being a good person. If you ask the majority of Americans, are you, are you going to go to heaven when you die? What are they going to say? Yeah, I'm a good person. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. Heaven is a sinless place. And we've, we've all sinned. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to, to help the healthy. I came to help the sick. Now, I've read that before, and, and, you know, Jesus said that out loud. He said that so everybody could hear it. And I thought, well, how did how'd that make Matthew feel, being called sick? Do you like to be called sick? Okay. All the other tax collectors. I wonder, you know, how that made him feel. But, you know, I, I, I really believe that Matthew was not offended at all. Because he realized, here's Jesus, here's the Son of God, sinless man, and he's inviting me. He's inviting me, and I'm a crook. He's inviting me to follow him. He came to my house. Nobody who's a religious person in this whole town would come into my house, but he did. Even though he, know, he knew that he'd be dragged through the religious mud for doing so. 
So I don't think Matthew was offended at all. And, and so another reason is because Matthew knew he was a sinner. And Matthew knew he'd sinned against God. Matthew knew he'd sinned against God. Have you ever thought about the fact that sinning against God is pretty sick? God created us. God loves us. God wants the best for us. Why would we disobey him? Why would we resist him? A God of that much power and love and holiness and a, and a kingdom that's waiting for us. Really kind of sick. Some people call it sin insanity. Why would you do that? To sin against God. Matthew knew he'd sinned against God. He knew he'd sinned against other people. He hadn't loved them. He'd stolen from them. He'd taken advantage of them. Being self-centered and hurting others is sick. And friend, we've all sinned against God. And we've all sinned against others. Bottom line is we're all sick sinners, but Jesus came to heal and save. Now, unfortunately, it's human nature that people who don't commit a lot of terrible sins don't think they're sinners. We don't, if, if we're a good person, we don't really want to call ourselves or think of ourselves as, as a sinner, do we? Question. How many banks does a bank robber have to rob before he's a bank robber? How many sins do we have to commit before we're a sinner? What would you think of a man who's on trial for robbing a bank and he says to the judge, yes, your honor, I did rob one bank, but there were a lot of banks I didn't rob. And, Your Honor, I have never robbed a big bank. I've only robbed little white banks. And see, it's just human nature to think we're not sinners because we've only done the little white sins. We've all sinned. And what's so awesome? That here is the Son of God who loves us so much. And Jesus doesn't send us to hell, which is what sinners deserve. Instead, he came to die in our place so we could be forgiven of all our sins. Jesus doesn't overlook sin. His <laughs> sin's a terrible problem. He invites us to let him forgive us and cleanse us. So that's why Jesus is in there with the tax collectors and the sinners, not worrying about the, what the self-righteous would think of him. He was in there because he loved Matthew. He was in there because he loved every one of those tax collectors and sinners in Matthew's house. And friend, he's here today because he loves us sinners. And he's inviting us to follow him.
You see, Jesus doesn't invite only the people who believe the right things and behave the right way, does he? He goes out to people who don't believe the right things and behave the right way. And see, friend, he invites us all. He invites the good and the bad. He invites us all, those of us who've lived good lives and those of us who've lived bad lives. Those of us who've sinned a little and those of us who've sinned a lot. I met Donna in college and we started dating. And then summer came and I was remaining on campus to, to work there, and Donna went home uh, for the summer in Pennsylvania. Well, I was uh, doing recruiting. I was doing admissions work, and my job was to travel around. So naturally, I found some prospects near Donna's house. I pulled into Irwin. Now, this is the days before GPS and cell phones, okay? I know you don't think I'm that old, but it's true, okay? <laughs> and I had her address, but there was no other way to find it. So I called Donna and said, how do I get to your house? And she said, it really is kind of challenging. She lived in western Pennsylvania, and they have mountains and hills and railroads and rivers and streams and winding roads, and it's not like Florida where everything is north, south, east, and west. And she said, it is a little bit hard, I'll come and get you now. She could have given me directions, but she just couldn't wait to see me, all right? So she said, I'll come and you can follow me. Now, what if I had to go inside, you know, to use their phone? What if I came outside and I saw some guy pumping gas and I said, excuse me, have you ever been to uh, 10430 Jefferson Avenue? And he said, No. I said, well, do you have any idea where it is? He, no, not a clue. What if I said to him, well, would you take me there? What if he said, well, you know, I'm a smart guy. I have a theory about how to get to the, you know, get there to, to Donna's house. So you just follow me. Would that be very wise to do? To follow someone to an important place? your eternal destiny? Would you follow someone who's never been there? Who doesn't know the way? Who has a nice sounding theory about it? And someone who doesn't really love you? Love you enough to die for you? Or would you, would it be wiser to follow someone there? Someone to a very important place, your eternal destiny. Someone who has been there, he lives there. Someone who came down so you could follow him there. Someone who died so all your sins could be forgiven. Someone who is coming back again to take you there. Which would be wiser? To follow someone who's never been to heaven? To follow a, a brilliant scientist or professor or friend who has their theory about eternity. To follow someone who's not died and risen from the dead. 
to prove his power to take you to heaven? Would you want to follow them or would you want to follow Jesus who did and does all those things? Friend, Jesus is inviting you to follow. If you are on this earth, God, God created you. God loves you. And God came for you to pay the price for you, to invite you to follow him here while you're on this earth and all the way to heaven. Jesus is inviting you today, every day, to follow him, to follow the all-knowing son of God because you have a very unknown future. You don't know your future. He does. You can follow him. Jesus inviting you to follow the all-loving, risen Savior so you can be saved from all your sins. Jesus is inviting you to follow him, the eternal king, who is the only one who can open heaven's gates and lead you through into God's kingdom forever. So will you follow him? Will you follow him today? Will you follow him tomorrow when you're at school, when you're at work, when you're in your neighborhood? Will you follow him? Will you follow him every day of your life all the way to heaven? One of our core values here is next steps. We talk about it every Sunday. Because, you know, um, the Bible says that we're blessed not when we hear God's word, <laughs> you know, when we come and hear a sermon. We're blessed when we do God's word, when we take the next step. And see, follow, if we're following Jesus, that means steps every day. You know, that's what walking is. It's step after step after step. So what's the next step? We're all at different places in our spiritual journey. But let me just pick out two kind of big categories. Friend, if you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, if you're not following him, your next step, the greatest step you can take is doing what Matthew did, stepping out of the crowd to follow Jesus. You see, it took some courage for Matthew to step out of the crowd and follow Jesus, too. Will you do it? Yeah, your friends might think you're weird. Uh, the academics in your life might call you narrow-minded. But he's the Son of God, and he knows. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, your step is stepping out of the crowd to follow Jesus. A lot of you here today, you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, Lord. Well, again, following Christ, is, it's, a, it's a walk. It's many steps, not just one. What's the next step? Stepping out of your comfort zone. You see, we all have a comfort zone. We all have a place and people and things that we like, okay? That's our comfort zone, okay? You ever realize that to follow Christ, you have to step out of that? You have to step out of the comfort, your comfort zone to do the great commandment. What's the great commandment? 
love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means you take a stand for him. That means you want others to know. Okay, that takes a little courage that you have to step out of your comfort zone. Love God and love others. Love your neighbor. Love others as you love yourself. Now, does that take a little, does that take you out of your comfort zone? To love people? Yeah. Stepping out of our comfort zone to do the great commandment. Stepping out of our comfort zone to do, to do the great commission. You see, when Jesus left, he said to his followers, he said, okay, here are your marching orders. He said, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be eternal, okay? But until then, you have a mission. And what's that mission? It's to bring others to Christ. Hey, you've received salvation as the gift of God you got to help others get that gift too. You don't want people you care about to go to a Christless eternity. That's our mission. That's why we're still here. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Because your friends and mine, your neighbors and mine, haven't, asked, haven't embraced Christ yet. And some of them are. Some of them are going to do that. And then Jesus is going to come back. And see, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone because that's hard for us Christians. We, we don't want people to think we're weird or a fanatic or one of those Jesus people or one of those narrow-minded Christians, okay? We have to step out of our comfort zone to bring others to Jesus Christ. That is our mission. God forbid that we should be a church where we just believe the right things and behave the right way, but don't bring people to Christ. That's our mission. That's what it means to follow me, to go to those who don't know Jesus yet and invite them to follow Jesus with you, the chalk names under the carpet today, to bring them to Christ. That's our mission, to be loving, to be growing, be going. One of our core values is that found people find people. Hey, if we've been found by Jesus, he walked up to us one, one day and said, follow me, and, and we did. He found us. Found people find people who need Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, God. I wish we'd have been there in Matthew's house. I wish we'd been there to see the love of Jesus for sinners. God, would you give me a love, the love of Jesus for people who need Jesus? I wish we'd been there to see the Pharisees standing outside, self-righteous, self-centered. I'm sure he'd have seen that, so he said, I, that is not what I want to be. That's not what we want our church to be. We've done a mission. To become like Jesus, to bring others to Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to help others come to follow him too. And so God help us. And friend, while your head's bowed, what's your next step? For some of you, it is to step out of the crowd and accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and to start following him. For those of us who's done that, it's to follow him every day. 
be willing to step out of our comfort zone to do the great commandment and the great commission. Let's do it. Let's do it. God, help us. God, fill us with yourself so that we do it for your glory. In Jesus' name.